Welcome everybody to today's Intelligent Property Investor Masterclass. Look, the reason I'm doing these is so that you can be more informed about the property market, about what's going on and how you can make better decisions. Because if you make better decisions with better information, you get better results. Now, if you're listening to me on one of the platforms, which is a podcast platform such as Spotify or on iTunes, really want you to go across to my website, iloverealestate.tv and make sure that you get all of the charts because there's a lot of information I'm going to be sharing with you now that I think you're going to find very useful about uh, what decisions to make and what to do in the property market. So what's been going on for the week? Look, the government has actually come out with a radical policy, which is going to send property prices even further. Something I've been predicting for a little while now. Well, guess what? The pollies have caught up. They're out there and they're, uh, they're starting to talk about it now. How COVID put money in Australians' households' pockets and how that's got some good news and some bad news outcomes that we want to talk about. Why the unemployment is totally broken um, and the figures that we're, we're getting aren't really accurate right now and why reality is both worse um, and better than it actually looks. So there's a lot of misinformation out there right now. And why, I've got here boffins, well, that's not the case, but anyway, boffins in New South Wales are calling for explosive immigration. Now, I want to talk about that and what it actually means for the property market, because we, uh, we are in for another explosion. And I want to share with you as to why. It's going to happen regardless of whether they're, you know, when it happens, it's going to happen at some stage. So let's get first of all to the good news, bad news story. COVID has created a massive amount of government support flowing into the economy. That is being paid for by printing money. Now, predominantly, that printing of money is, um, is by the raising of bonds from the government, which the RBA is purchasing and paying for with newly printed money. Uh, that money is now pouring out into the economy at to the tune of about $4 billion a week. Now, on, that's at a federal level. On top of that, the state governments are also dishing out a whole bunch of money because they're the ones that are causing the lockdowns. And in lockdown, there's more support for all sorts of industry and people who got their hours cut back and whatever else. And uh, the state governments are starting to feel a little bit of the pinch in that regard as well. So this government support, and you can see in this chart here, how all through you know, February or March really, through to um, about October-ish um, last year, there was masses amounts of money flowing through. And then it kind of dribbled out to the end of, um, the end of March, which is where we had the, this is all the federal support, which is where we had all of the, um, you know, the, the first home buyers and the building grants and the building boosts and the job keepers and the job seekers and all that kind of stuff. Now, that created a lot of money slushing around in the economy. Now, with this second wave of lockdowns that we've seen, and I know we're starting to open up now, but that second wave of lockdown is creating a big um, a disaster payment, which is more at a state level. And uh, that's affecting the, the states that have been in lockdown. So you can see there, uh, Victoria, how much it's, it's kicking out, and also New South Wales. So you can see the the, the dark blue, the day of the dark blue is New South Wales and the green colour there is Victoria. And that's just since June as to how much money has been, been uh, you know, 
uh, got out into the economy. And then you've got to be COVID disaster relief. What that means, though, is with all that money coming out and flooding into the economy, consumer spending has been down because people are in lockdown in those states I'm talking about now. So consumer spending has been down because they're all in lockdown. They're all in. The, all they can do is, is order over the internet. And then they're being told not to order over the internet because it makes the couriers go out and they're going to spread the disease. Whatever. Um, savings are up. So uh, the big sector of the market uh, that are still completely employed, particularly the public sector, and savings are up. So where is the market going? It's going into home improvements, it's going into housing, and it's going into cars. They're the big ticket items as to where all this saving is going. Now, if you have a look, there's a chart came out during the week from the, um, uh, from the CBA, and it talks about the government benefits tracker. And you can see there that last big boost, massive boost there of um, government spending. And uh, that, that's really to handle the last lot of lockdowns that we've had. So when you look at that from the bigger picture, and this goes right back to 1975, you can see there how government support back in 1975 was actually quite high, similar to what we did at the peak. And it came down and down and down and down and down until we got to the 2000s, we kind of bounced around. Then we had GFC, which is that next big bump up that you see there. Um, and uh, you know there, there wasn't actually a recession, but it was still a bump up and a, and a depression. Um, and then we had kind of bumped around, we're coming down and down and down, and now we've got this massive saving happening again because we're flush with money. Believe it or not, Australia is flush with money with all of this support, government support, going into the economy. Now, we've come off our massive big saving as to where we were, but we are still way above where we are historically. So this is household deposits monthly, and this is the monthly change. So you can see there, the latest lockdowns have really improved um, how much money people have got in the bank and how much they've got, you know, in, in, uh, you know, in savings and other things because they're not spending as much. So it's all going into the bank and we're in this, this massive saving program. And that's really what this chart shows with the, uh, the cash savings indicator by the Commonwealth Bank. Just look at that ramp up since this January there of uh, 1919, uh, sorry, 20, 2019, Oh, that's 100 years ago, that's a long time ago. No, 2019 um, and, uh, and where we are today. It's a massive ramp up. So people are flush with money and a lot of that is going into the property market. The uh, Fin Review came out and says that the post-pandemic war chest, which is all of this saving that everyone's been having through the, through the pandemic, is up over $200 billion. So that's what we as individuals have in our back pockets effectively um, as, a, as a savings buffer, as money to go into other assets, over $200 billion. That's a lot of money. So that is, is flowing through to the property market and that's going to continue to surge property markets. Now, when you look from a state-by-state -state basis, there's a little bit of movement across the states. And with um, Mr. Andrews down in uh, Victoria and his hard stance on lockdowns and other things, a lot of Victorians are actually moving out of Victoria to other areas. But I'll talk later as to whether that's going to be a long-term trend or not. So the other thing I want to talk about here is the unemployment figures. And it's really a false flag because there is a surge in job ads. Now, the real reason that we're seeing such low employment, uh, unemployment figures 
is because there's, there's a difference in the participation rate. So there's a lot of people who simply aren't looking for a job at the moment um, because they're getting a lot of government payments and other things. So they're not in the figures. They don't show in the unemployment figures. And then there's a whole bunch of people that are still considered to be employed, but they might have gone from full-time employment down to 20 hours a week, or they've had their hours cut. And that's not what's being shown in the actual figures. So even though our figures are really good, our participation rate is actually quite small. So what does that mean? Look, it means that, that um, overall, we're still doing quite well. In fact, there's a lot of um, job ads out there. You can see here the difference between all postings and new postings. Both of them are up and uh, you know, much higher than they were back pre-COVID. Uh, pre you can see there how they were bobbing along at zero there uh, as, a, you know, a, um, as a baseline pre-COVID. And then we dropped, obviously, when we had that massive um, drop off there in March of, of uh, 2020. And we've been slowly increasing, increasing. You can see a few ups and downs with lockdowns and whatever. But this last lot, lot of lockdowns really hasn't had a massive impact because there's still a lot of jobs out there. So what this is showing is that there are a lot of the employers are actually seeing through the short-term um, lockdowns. And there's a, there's a big surge at the moment because of Christmas. So a lot of the employers are now putting lots of ads out for people to come on for the Christmas season. We're coming up to that, heaven forbid. You know, I saw decorations out the other day and oh my God, we're only in October still. Um, so uh, they're, they're actually starting to employ now for that Christmas season and get everybody trained and, and whatever else. That is also flowing through to consumer confidence. And we have a, uh, you can see their consumer confidence is still very good back up to similar kind of levels. It probably took a little bit of a hit with the last lot of lockdown for New South Wales and Victoria. And a lot of the surveys that are done are actually done in Victoria and, and, uh, and New South Wales. So I think overall you're seeing, particularly Victorians, they're just absolutely sick of it. I mean, they're the most locked down city in the world. I mean, who wants to live there for God's sake? Um, so they're feeling a lot of frustration. New South Wales hadn't really had it before. Um, so they're kind of going, hang on a minute, we're not putting up with this crap. Um, but they're not anywhere near what Victoria has been through. So uh, there's, there's consumer conferences coming back. And I think as we surge through to Christmas, we're going to see more of that as well. So are the politicians crazy or are they super smart? Well, most of you are going to say, no, they're definitely crazy. And hey, I've got to agree with that. But let's look at some of the policies that have, have been uh, announced during the week. And the first one is it came out from the new Premier of New South Wales, who has put out a massive call for an explosive surge of 2 million migrants to Australia. Wow, we've never in the history of Australia brought in 2 million migrants to Australia in the space of a year. That's a hell of a lot of people. And when you look at where we are with our housing and, and supply is still down, um, you know, we're, we're, we simply are, we're still in an over demand and under supply scenario. So if we come and dump 2 million people onto the country, we won't be able to handle that. But I do agree that we do need to be looking at immigration. We need to be, uh, we need to have some, some um, strong policies about how many uh, migrants we're going to be taking. The article goes on to talk about, you know, the, the national dialogue of an aggressive 
resumption of, of immigration levels as the key means of economic recovery and post-pandemic growth. Look, I do agree with him. I actually agree with him. I think he's, he's on the right track, um, but two million is absurd. <laughs> That's way too many. Um, we need to be very conscious of that because as we bring Australia, uh, new people to Australia, we need to rebuild the country. And it is similar to our post-World um, War II approach where we needed to rebuild the country. We needed workers. We need, uh, you know, we need people paying taxes, all of those things. But if we do bring a whole bunch more migrants to the country, we also, on the other side, we need a very aggressive federal policy and state policy to, to really put out some significant infrastructure projects. We need to rebuild Australia from an infrastructure perspective. We need to be putting money into getting manufacturing back into Australia. We need grants in the manufacturing industry. We need capital, um, capital um, loans where people can get manufacturing machinery back here in Australia, starting to work and starting to, to produce goods that we have since the 70s allowed to be frittered away to other countries. We've got to step, put a stop to this. We've got to bring it back to Australia. And the, you know, I agree with the immigration. Yes, we need more, more migrants coming in. It is our, the form of growth that we have had since colonisation in this country. But at the same time, we need to be having some significant government support into creation of jobs in this country um, and creation of manufacturing, particularly back in this country. So not just housing, construction and stuff like that. No, we need the big stuff back here. We need to be making steel back over here. You know, we need to be, to be instead of shipping our iron ore off at a dreadful price as it is at the moment and then buying back steel at 15 times the price. No, that's a capital intensive industry that we need to have back here in Australia, as well as a whole raft of industries. You know, look at, look at Germany. Germany, you know, post-World War II, they put a lot of money into... Um, into manufacturing and creating jobs in Germany. They are the world leaders now. You know, when you say something is German made or German um, designed, it's held in high regard. That's what we need back here. We need that stuff back here. Um, you know, and we, we need to be on the front foot with this, with uh, new technologies and other things, because that's what's going to bring us forward. You know, we're in a very different kind of economic situation now with our feud with China and everything else going on, we need that manufacturing back over here and we need to make it profitable and the government needs to support that. Anyway, that's my view. Um, this chart here shows you the long-term arrivals into Australia and you can see there once COVID hit, we actually went into negative. So a lot of people actually went elsewhere than in Australia. Um, but this is what it looked like prior to that. You can see there we had reasonably high levels up in the 200, 300,000 people in, coming into the country. We need to be back up there um, at a very minimum. I don't know about 2 million. I think that's way too many. But, um, you know, we need to be back up at those kind of levels, if not even a little bit higher. I'd be happy to go up to 500,000 people coming in, um, but uh, certainly over 200,000. And this chart shows the, um, the, in New South Wales alone, the, uh, the net overseas migration and where we were at 
um, leading up to the pandemic and everything else. So New South Wales is, is one that says we will take them in. And most migrants, when they come into Australia, they go to Sydney and Melbourne. Let's face it, that's where they want to go. They're the only cities I've ever heard of. So that's where they go. Eventually, they flitter out to the rest of the country. I think we need some decentralisation um, laws around people coming in and, and settling in other areas to, to build up other areas. So it's not just a big squeeze on Sydney and Melbourne because that will send prices through the roof, absolutely through the roof. This chart here just shows the uh, predictions um, and uh, you know just into New South Wales. And as I said, they're, they're pretty low. I would like to see them even higher than that. Uh, this is an article that was uh, in the uh, urban developer, New South Wales housing targets in jeopardy as arrivals plunge. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's arguments on, on each side as to what's happening there. Um, there a lot of the apartments uh, is typically where the new arrivals go. They go into an apartment building and then they tend to go off into housing and other things. So it's the apartment market that uh, we won't be bringing up our supply in that area until such time as you know probably two three years down the track because we've had such a delay and a lag in um, in applications going through at that end of town because of what APRA did back in 2017. I can't stress that enough. Um, in the year of March to 2021, New South Wales delivered 29,500 new homes, well short of the 42,000 outlined by the Greater Sydney Commission, which talks about population growth and other things. Um, so, you know, a reduction of nearly 10% uh, just for New South Wales, let alone all the other, other cities. And, you know, Melbourne, Victoria is going to be worse because they've been locked down most of the time. Um, we're, we've got this massive shortfall, which does need to be addressed. So 2 million, no, that's ridiculous. You know, pull your head in, Premier. Um, we do need it. Yes, I agree with you. We do need immigration, migration, sorry, to Australia. Um, but not to that number. That's a bit big, a little bit big for your first week in Parliament or whatever you were. So my little bit of a thought for the week is write down your goals. I am a big believer in writing your goals down and then breaking them down into smaller chunks. So start off with your 10-year goal. Where do you want to be living in 10 years? What do you want to be doing? How do you want to be living your life? What kind of income do you want to be having in 10 years' time? What about five? What about a year? Not about what about in, you know, what are you going to do in five-month goals, then one-month goal, and daily goals? So start chunking that down to the things that you need to be doing right now in order to put you on the right track to achieve that goal in a month's time in three months time, in five months time, in a year's time. And then how that then compounds over the next year, the next year through to five years, and then have a big audacious goal out there for 10 years and whatever that might mean. Now, don't forget, I am offering you a free 60 minute breakthrough session with one of my advisors. They are free and um, we'll be helping you with those goals. What are they? Um, you know, what do you want to be achieving? How do you want to be living in five years time? And what are you going to do to get that goal ticked off and achieve that goal? We'll talk to you about what we do in I Love Real Estate. We don't sell properties, but we'll certainly teach you how to, uh, to achieve those goals and work with you. We have an amazing community. We have amazing connections with all of our accountants and lawyers and strategists right around the country. We have exemplary um, uh, coaching. 
every single week we coach people on on uh, different topic and other things and then our content is through the roof there is absolutely nothing else available that uh, covers the breadth and depth of training that we do in i love real estate so get yourself one of those breakthrough sessions have a chat to one of the advisors and really start to think about what those goals are and how you're going to achieve them all you've got to do is go to iloverealestate.tv forward slash questions forward slash i'll say that again iloverealestate.tv forward slash questions forward slash get yourself an appointment there's limited numbers there and uh, write it in your diary make sure you're not late so you get the maximum out of that free 60 minute um, breakthrough session that's it from me this week guys i hope you enjoyed our little chat for the week i'll be back next week with some updates on what's going on and how it affects you in the property space bye for now